We're about to kick off a horror and spooky-filled episode of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by Wandering Monster. Uh, you have heard Greg on the show before with Building Character, his, he and Ida's uh, D&D segment. And you thought, man, that guy really knows his Dungeons and Dragons. You would be correct. He does. And find out just how well he knows it by signing up for a public session at Wandering Monster. So basically, you know, if you don't have a gaming group or you're new to gaming and you're not comfortable being around, you know, people yet or whatever, Wandering Monster is Greg's online D&D program that he runs. He's got some adventures still available all through October. So head on over to wandering-monster.com and you can get the sessions. Basically, you get like the whole mini campaign, you know, that, that Greg runs for you and he will walk you the process of building your character. Ha, call back. How to get into character, how to play your character. And it's for all experience levels. Whether you consider yourself a big old ham like me who loves to constantly roleplay and talk in character all the time, or if you just will be comfortable kind of sitting back and only, you know, speaking when, you know, it's required by your character or having as little interaction as possible, it doesn't matter. D&D allows any type of play style, and Wandering Monster will help you th- uh, grow your play style, will help you thrive and have adventures and connect with new people uh, across the realms so please, check them out, wandering-monster.com, and uh, when you grab a pri- public session, or maybe set up a private session, let them know that you heard all about Wandering Monster on Geek in the City Radio. It's been a long, long week, why don't you spend some time with geeks, so many issues today, into which we must delve. Stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert. We're going more back to 12. Thanks for pressing play. Now we're gonna save the day. Alright. Why hello and welcome to issue. 616 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Spinarita. And I am your other other host, Cable Ashitani. What's shaking, people? <laughs> Honestly, Started... I thought you were going to say, what's shaking bacon? I am actually was hoping you were going to say, and I am the wa- I, and I am Watu, the watcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, this is my Pickwick from the Curse of Strahd. Sorry. Anyway. Okay. We are officially all over the map, and we're, we're s- 30 seconds in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm we distracted definitely... by the sudden stench in my house, so don't mind me. I'm just over here trying to deal with that quietly. Has another rat died? No. 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 Um, I mean, fine. I'll just tell you all. My cat just took the stinkiest poop, and it's like Whoa. just penetrating the whole house. Yeah. I mean, animals poop. Cats poop in your house. That's just part of having a cat. So there you go. That's, that's oh, I know. That's my, what's happening for me right my, now. My voice was immortalized many years ago for that uh, traveling kid science thing of everyone poops. I did not know that. Uh, years ago, this is back in my old like Emerson days, they asked a bunch of us to record little lines that say everyone poops. And mine was, everyone poops. <laughs> So yeah, hey, that's, children's, uh, that's, children's that's, museums that land over have to hear that for like that, two years. 
I end up going more with a Michael Stipe uh, version whenever it's like everybody poops <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, that's that's the one. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, cat! Oh. The day was long. Okay, I can't. I'm not making a parody out of that one. No, I, no. Let's just let's just move on. Yep. I want to. So I don't need to ask you guys how your weekend was. It was full of madness. We, uh, yeah, it was exciting. We actually spent the entire weekend together for the, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Like we all went home separately, but hi, cat. That's, That's true. But yes, we spent three evenings at the Hollywood Theater participating in the, well, attending, I guess is probably the better word, attending the 26th annual HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. It was super fun. I haven't been to this in over 10 years. Wow, close, really? Yeah. The closest yeah. I have been to the festival is uh, Andrew Migliori. Uh, <laughs> bless you. Uh, doing mini conventions for the staff of Guardian Games the past few years. Oh, that's right. Because He's he's a swell human being. Mm-hmm. He is. Um, yeah. I don't think I've been since 2015. Um, yeah, I think because for a long time there was work stuff. And also, you know, a couple of times I didn't want to go alone. And at the time I didn't have like buddies to go with. Mm-hmm. So. And this was my first time. This would have been with mm-hmm. Cable. You were working weekends, so you were able to do that stuff. So, yeah, that yeah. From 2014 on, there was there's no weekends. Yeah. Plus, up until 2017, my weekends belongs to um, in October belonged to Freight Town. So. Oh shit! That's right. Yeah, and this was Bean's first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't even wear my t-shirts. What did you think it, of it? Like you had, I mean. <laughs> I had a great time. Um, definitely a wide swath of like styles of, of filmmaking. Um, and I definitely feel like I, I wish that I had like spent a little bit of time sort of boning up on Lovecraft lore and, you know, some of the, some of the, the key concepts so that I could pick up on the references more. Um, sure. But I don't think that that took away from my enjoyment of the films. I had a couple like really strong favorites and saw a lot of like really good, unique stuff. The vendors were cool. Uh, Gwen's wardrobe changes were amazing. It's just <laughs> a really, really fun weekend. And I'm glad that I spent it with you guys. And, and Brian. Brian also changed his wardrobe. Not yeah. as often as Gwen, but he also right. changed his wardrobe. Yes, so. he did. Yes, he did. Uh, that I- was it. It was a joint effort on their part, and I I, yeah. I also appreciated that. I do for I do forget that they do that because I think back to like when Andrew run it ran it, and his his was very different. By a, a day one, he was in full kind of almost like nineteen twenties suit regalia, like looking very like snazzy and period. Mm-hmm. Day two, business casual. By day three, he was jeans and a t-shirt and mm-hmm. just, because at the time, like, he was it. He had help. 
mm-hmm. but he ran that whole damn thing. So by day three, he was walking dead. Yep. Sunday he- morning, Gwen was in fact in jeans and a t-shirt, but still, you know, still Lovecraft themed. Right. But then later she changed into another glorious dress. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, she also scared me, I believe it was the second night. Uh, we were watching uh, my dinner with Chuck. And the end credits rolled and it was a little loud for me. So I did that old man thing where I kind of plugged my ears a little bit. And I don't think Gwen noticed that part. I think she just felt like she had to express her love with that with someone and saw me as like, I know this guy, I can do this to him. And just walked, got within like an inch of my ear and goes, I love this movie so much. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's great. I don't think she realized you scared me. She's like, I love this movie so much. That was a fun one. I really like that one too. It yeah. was. Um, I, I appreciate that one of our um, festival go- uh, fellow festival goers and a friend of mine, John, uh, remarked on his way out because we had been told that Sunday was going to be the short block of what the fuck shorts mm-hmm. that didn't fit into scary or funny or this or that. It was just what? And like his comment about my dinner with Chuck was and that didn't make it into the what the fuck block walked out. Right. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Yeah. yeah. I I felt that there was some very deliberate curation with the movies um like especially with the short blocks where how they ended like on night one it ended with this really strong one that kind of made everyone go okay i have to watch all the shorts tomorrow right and then knowing that there was going to be the what the fuck block of shorts on sunday having uh saturday night end with my dinner with chuck it's like yep that makes sense right still wondering how deliberate the choice was to have the altruist show right before we went to dinner on sunday (laughs) That was that had to be intentional. You don't do that on accident. Uh, I know that like choosing a favorite at a film festival can be very apples to oranges, even if all of the films are like super different, but in the same genre, so to speak, kind of like mm-hmm. this. But I think that the altruist is is still like after I've thought about them all a little bit more, I think it's still my favorite. It's not like it's not alone up there at the very top, but there's other movies that I really, really enjoyed, but they're, but they're different. And in terms of like what I was hoping for in this film fest, the altruist continues to hold that title for me Hmm. anyway. Right. I, I can definitely say that um, the altruist is the one that I still reference the most when talking about the fest to other people. Um, but there were there's a handful of them that all like no i really like this for this and i really like this for this and i really like this for this Mm -hmm. exactly Um, like uh like i really enjoyed ever evermore nevermore i think that was the right one um that was a a take on pose the raven oh mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. only because it did some uh did some very modern interpretation um that was nice uh i was a i was a fan of an actor and a monster because i thought the actor she was she was fantastic i could mm. watch her lose her mind for an hour holy yeah she was super she was, intense 
super mm. intense. And the way they did her makeup to give her the dark circles, there was it would just and the lighting would be on point for that one. I was I was really impressed by that one a lot. Um, I think <laughs> that all the flowers that cut through the earth. Mm-hmm. I feel like that title. I feel like still an emotional. That was really great. Except now, like two days after, I'm trying to remember which one that was. There's not a strong connection between the title and the story. No, there is. At least not that I perceived. And it was a good story too. Yeah, I just don't remember yeah. which one it was. <laughs> uh, what else there? I really enjoyed uh, Skinner 1929. I liked. I've never seen a movie done that way. That crap short. That was kind of cool for me. I think I I know that that resonated with me because it was uh, podcast based, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And because and it was also Oregon coast based, specifically Florence. Yeah, that does help, which is where my parents live. Right, and you can do a lot of fun stuff with found footage too. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and I, I like how they did notes. it. Yeah, um, I'm trying to get some other shorts. Uh, I enjoyed Colossus. Yeah, um, that was well done. The World War II. Yeah, I, and yeah. I liked, it wasn't really a twist. I just liked their take on the thing from beyond, like how it was interpreted. Uh, I also enjoyed um, Transfer. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, Love Glove was delightful. Yes, that one yes, was cute. Was. Yeah, not not. I I would like really struggle to categorize it as a horror film. No. That's but why it was, it was in the. That's why it was in the what the fuck block. Yeah. Right. Uh, that being said, I didn't think it was like too what the fuck or like what is this? It was. It was just delightful. It was fun and humorous and mm-hmm. well well shot and put together. It yeah. worked well in that block simply because it was uh, like it. It was. It was shot for the seventy-two hour. Um, Guignol. For, yeah, Guignol yeah. Fest. So um I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh Dice was fun. Um, yes. There was oh, a man, final dice. shot. I don't think they needed, but that's just me being nitpicky. No, I felt mm-hmm. the same way. It was yeah. it was strong and then it was just like one last unnecessary little element at the very, very end. Um a quick little note before our guest joins us. The one we're not gonna talk about a whole lot is Black Goat episode one. Because mm-hmm. for podcast listeners, we have a special about 18 minute interview where we got the chat with the filmmakers of that short, which is technically the pilot episode of a series they are trying to launch. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they conceive it as an eight episode pilot, but yeah. we will let them talk more about that in the interview. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've also, we're trying to line up a couple other interviews with some of the other uh, artists and creators to hopefully sprinkle those in throughout the rest of the month. Because yeah, hopefully. it's month. Yeah. That's right. Um. And I mean, we're talking about a lot of these films really quickly. And if you're like, oh, wait, where do I watch them? They're still only through the festival. But as a rule, they tend to put the best of the shorts on a DVD or Blu-ray. And also, you can still get online tickets, right, for streaming. This weekend. Yeah, so you can watch it this weekend, which actually has, I think, two extra shorts blocks, including the Lovecraft Under the Gun blocks. So. It does. It has additional um, additional shorts that uh, 
weren't that we didn't see at the live the in-person fest so right so yeah you can still get content yeah Mm -hmm. you can still get those tickets if you want so uh, yeah just head on over to hplfilmfestival.com and you can get all the information there yeah i'm tempted to get them just so i can watch the streaming stuff Mm -hmm. we'll see i am also tempted let's see if this works part two Right. <laughs> oh, is it our our guest? Yes. Oh, what good timing! Well, they're connecting. I did want to mention this is the first time that I have come away from the HP Lovecraft Film Fest, and it's actually given me an idea oh, for a film it. short. <laughs> oh, awesome! Seven. Oh. Yeah, you gave us a couple of notes on it, and I think I think you really have something there. Yeah, I'm a little more annoyed that it went from, oh, that idea is neat, but it'll just go away in my head. And instead it like turned into, it's like, oh crap, I I know the the beats in the three acts and I have a name for it. And ah, crap. How dare this idea begin to flesh out? Welcome to my world. Yeah. Some dialogue has started to form. (laughs) Yeah, it's very meta. I'll tell you more about it later. (laughs) I have something else to write first that I need to get that out of the way before I tackle any personal writing. Right. That's fair. That's fair fair enough. I don't know what that's like at all. No, not at all. Not one bit. This is a great spot to take a commercial break and talk about our sponsors. First up, of course, Guardian Games. Find them at 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. Now, if you've enjoyed us kind of chatting about all the creepy, eldritch, Lovecraftian horror, uh, you know, last week and this week, well, then maybe you're not done for the weird horror, and maybe you want some weirdness in your games, be it board games, role-playing games, or card games. Well, good news! Uh, almost everything Lovecraftian is the public domain, which basically means if you can think of a game that might have Cthulhu in it, that game's going to exist, and that game's going to exist at... Guardian Games. Uh, they actually they run the gamut from super serious long form games like Arkham Horror or uh, the Mansions of Madness to more lighthearted stuff like uh, Smash Up and quote the inevitable Cthulhu expansion. There's all kinds of things, and all of it can be found at Guardian Games, three four five Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon, or also online at GuardianGames.com. And when you're in there, thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. Just like Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep taking from that theme of Lovecraftian horror, because this will come as no surprise, but a lot of comics use Lovecraftian horror uh, as their inspiration or straight-up adaptations. Uh, there's been some Alan Moore adaptations of Lovecraftian work, which your taste may vary on that one. Um, but a whole lot of Hellboy and the BPRD has has very much so been inspired by uh, Lovecraftian tales and whatnot, and you will find all of that at Bridge City Comics. Um, comics do really, you know, comics and horror, you know, is a fun genre to play with, and they'll have it there. If they don't have it and it's still in print, Michael can order it for you. So yeah, get down there, get yourself some creepy comics, get them at Bridge City Comics. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Um, I think 
our guests are here and yeah. can so join ready. us. If, if, they're, can... if they're ready, ready to join. Oh, look at that. I can see them and I there think we now are. we can hear them. Perfect. Oh. Hey, I know that room. <laughs> <laughs> so for listeners joining us are Tom and Ed from Hour to Midnight Escape Room Games. Hello, Hello. guys. Hi. Hello again. <laughs> Long time no see. Yeah, it's been a... A whole a two weeks. Of, yeah, time is irrelevant, especially after spending the last weekend in a theater watching, you know, Lovecraft films. The time is really being messed with right now in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun. Uh, so for those who don't know, Hour to Midnight is a local escape room out in uh, East Portland area. Uh, once you guys got to give a quick little rundown about, I mean, wait, why did you get into escape rooms, some of your background, stuff like that? Um, so we started out doing haunted houses, and we like putting on shows, doing theater type things, whatnot. And uh, one thing that quick, quickly became apparent to us was that scaring people for like two seconds and then moving them on is not really what we liked. We'd, we'd rather have a longer experience where we get to interact with the customer and give them a whole show. So uh, we kind of left the haunted house industry and started working on Hour to Midnight, the escape room stuff. And uh, I think this has definitely got that uh, itch scratched for us. So we're able to <laughs> give people a good show. So, But we still want to do haunted houses. I feel like once that bug hits you, it never goes away. No, yes. it does not. <laughs> once you hear that first, once you hear that first scream that you cause, you're like, "Yes, I need it again." <laughs> well, and it's this been about three years since the last time we talked to you guys, and you've only expanded since then. So, yes. oh, four years, Cable says. So, uh, seems like it's going well, and presumably you're still enjoying it. Oh yeah, yeah. We've got uh, four rooms up and running now, and the fifth one in the design phase. So, nice. So, no signs of stopping. <laughs> Yeah, for uh, our longtime listeners, uh, we uh, you invited us to come out and try your first room, Secrets of Nibiru, uh, mm-hmm. back in 2017, and that's uh, we went out and did that and had you on and talked about it. So uh, we ran into each other a few weeks back for unrelated things, and it's like, hey, you should come out and do this. So, and we did. And, we oh did. man, you, you brought us on to. Uh, experience, but also in a way kind of beta, beta test, which I know that yes. all rooms really need. Uh, well, anything entertainment-wise needs it, you know. Um, not just your guys' rooms. Uh, the Pharaoh's Lost Relic. Um, which right out the gate was just completely immersive. Um, for folks who have done escape rooms before and you're kind of just locked in one room and you got, oh, I got to solve kind of wacky like lock puzzles and <laughs> like it's way beyond that now. There are can we say how many rooms there are? Sure. Well, what do you think? There, there's more than two. <laughs> more than two. Okay, yeah, let's, let's do that. I don't want to give anything away. Uh, in fact, uh, for those who are watching this either on Facebook or on the Patreon page later, they are sitting in the entrance of that specific escape room adventure. Yeah. Uh, so what's the, what's the story behind the Pharaoh's Lost Relic? Sure, I'll feel that one. Um, so the Pharaoh's Lost Relic is actually a prequel to the Secrets of Nibiru, which you have played. 
Um, you are uh, set on a quest from Professor Elshop to find the mask of Zanat that is hidden somewhere in an Egypt, Egypt, Egyptian tomb. That's easier to say. Um, so you've been sent out here to Mastaba K2 to investigate and retrieve the mask for the professor, as well as some other relics he's interested in, um, in which some people may recognize that are in uh, the professor's uh, office study. study. Yeah. Nice. I I do have to say that that, that I know both Denise and Aaron have done more escape rooms than I have. I the escape rooms that I've done, I've done with the two of them, and this was by far the most challenging that we've encountered, which made it even more enjoyable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, being a beta tester, we also. make you struggle a little bit more too than, than normal. That's where we're trying to find the, the, the bugs and things to enhance to make it more uh, entertaining for our public. Uh, so we, typically the operators nudge you and push you a little bit if you got really stuck. Um, you guys didn't get that experience. You got you got the full, the whole do-it-yourself experience. <laughs> Sobbing in the corner quietly. <laughs> <laughs> for a minute, I was like, why, why don't we just be work? real British explorers and just get a crowbar and break everything? <laughs> <laughs> and then just take what we want. <laughs> this is why they don't give us crowbars. <laughs> All right. Pinky strength. Pinky yes. strength, exactly. Pinky yeah. strength. Can you give them the rule of pinky strength? I've done a lot of escape rooms. And I've never heard it phrased this way, and I, I like it a lot. <laughs> the uh, rule of thumb, <laughs> which is a rule of pinky strength. <laughs> so we say, you know, no more pressure than what you could muster with your pinkies. So, right. And if you feel like you're breaking it, you probably, probably are breaking are. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, since you guys have visited us, we have taken our learnings from your game as well as some other beta tests, and we've made a few changes, so it should be a little bit easier now than what you guys experienced. But Again, like, I don't want to give a whole lot away, but I think some of the issues we ran into was just a question of how to interface Mm -hmm. with certain elements. Um, Mm -hmm. Even the, quote, hardest puzzle that we ran into, which we're not going to say anything, even that, I think, just need a slight tweaking of, like, how you interface with that element for it to click a little better. And I'm sure you folks are going to nail that one, so... Yeah, in fact, uh, we already have something in place that I think has solved that problem, and Hmm. it's not a spoiler to tell you what it is. Okay. Uh, There is a new intro video where you actually get talked to right right up there uh, by Elshock himself, and he's telling you about how he's assembled you as your new archaeological team. And they go into some details about other excavation sites that he's been to where there are similar devices. So oh, okay. it kind of gives you a little walkthrough, but without being too obvious what it is. Nice. I okay. do want to ask, and the one thing I do want to ask you guys, and it's not a spoiler at all, this is something you mentioned repeatedly while we were kind of wrapping up our interview at the end. Um, you were really adamant about not having a journal for players yes. to read. Have you still been able to avoid that? Absolutely. So when, when, say we've, when we design rooms, we are constantly watching what hints and nudges people do need. Mm-hmm. And that's telling us, again, like we guys have beta testing, that tells us that the logic isn't as apparent as what it needs to be. So we need to refine those. So even for the next few months, as we open this room, uh, we will be watching and, and recording how people do and seeing where things still may need to iron out. I mean, we, we like to beta test as much as possible and get those stuff out of the way at first. 
Um, so we think we've got it well refined at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, enough, enough to open. At least I vote to be open. Um, <laughs> Tom still has some reluctancies. I'm a little, <laughs> little bit of a perfectionist. So, <laughs> so, so we're we're going to do a couple more beta tests, make sure everything flows like it should. But I think we're right. both very confident that everything is, at least that you guys experienced, have been addressed already, as well as other beta testers. Oh, had cool. So well, uh, I just it's feeling yeah. good. I just think from a lot, like a one level of playability, I think lacking journals is really strong. I, I've I've come to realize in the past few months that escape rooms are a lot like comic books in a way, in that a well-written comic book, you should be able to remove almost either dialogue and the story still makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there might be players who maybe they don't speak English or maybe English is a rough language for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can enjoy the escape rooms because you're still, you're just playing with images and symbology and numbers, which are pretty much universal. And it's pretty cool. <laughs> We ran out of time. Oh, oh, did he just turn on? Are we getting the? <laughs> we just, we just ran out of time. You're, you're trapped. You're trapped forever in the pyramids in the pharaoh's tomb. Yeah, get those crowbars. <laughs> <laughs> so, one more thing to touch on your uh, your journal uh, mention was that the other reason that we didn't like it, and I think Ed may have talked about this when you guys were there, is that it only allows one person to view the journal and they're carrying it around with them. Mm-hmm. And we want to foster that team building type of environment so we want to make sure that everybody can participate and and uh also another reason why we just don't want like writing utensils and things because it forces you to interact like hey you remember this you remember this and right get you guys talking more and going back into the the language barrier too is that uh with this with this room in particular um there really isn't much need to know english um because uh-huh. everything that's in here is, other than the generator, I think it's really the only English puzzle in the entire room. Um, all the rest of the puzzles um, had to be interpreted from what you see around the room and, and kind of use the environment and things that you find in the environment to uh, to work with the puzzles. So. Nice. I don't think even the generator uh, puzzle is, to me anyway, seemed like very like clear in terms of what's expected uh, because there's a lot of visual cues, it's not just words. It's a, it's a manual. It's a technical manual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I particularly thought that that was really well done. So, excellent. Yeah, we we we, we pride ourselves on, on making sure those types of things feel real. I mean, that's that's in the part of the immersiveness is making sure that when you're looking at a generator, a it appears real. B the manual feels like it really belongs to that generator. Mm-hmm. That's right. In here, so it, you know it, it's key to making that experience feel uh, whole. Yeah. Well, and if I remember correctly, you said that that actually was a real generator that you guys decommissioned and and yep. altered only slightly to create the puzzle. So yep. that that right there is how you get those realistic vibes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and it, and it uh, simulation of it running and being able to actually feel the vibrations of it running, mm-hmm. which it's not actually running because that would be bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Simulated running very well, I, I think, and it, it gives a, a, a good, again, tie-in to that immersion that you can touch yeah. a generator. It feels like it's running. Yep. That's pretty dang cool. I actually had a moment where I was going to touch it, and my brain went, what if it's really hot? I'm like, oh, <laughs> dummy. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> well, and then the, the lights with the uh, with the fluctuation of the lights, yep. it's, it's very cohesive. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It comes back to our, our haunted house experience and doing for haunted houses for nine years. We've really learned how to manipulate the environment to, to make you, um, you know, feel like you're part of what's going on. 
even though we only had a couple seconds at a time to play through the haunted house, the the hour plus that we get to to work with the group now is awesome. Uh, and then we can really convey the story. We can really make you feel the experiences that we want you to feel. Make you maybe even feel like you're in Egypt for a few minutes. You know, right? <laughs> for uh, if you've uh, if folks have, who are listening have lived in Portland for a long time and have ever been to Fright Town. Uh, that's where I met Tom and Ed because um, Fright Town was the combination of 1031 Productions and Fright FX, which is the parent company of Hour to Midnight. So mm-hmm. they they did a haunt and, and uh, uh, 10, 1031 did uh, at least two haunts. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually brings me to a thought. Have you... And if this is giving things away that you don't want to give away yet, I will accept no comment as an answer. <laughs> um, you, Fright FX created some really great haunts. Um, Elshoff Manor being one of them. Mm-hmm. I loved Elshoff Manor. Mm-hmm. Um, have you considered doing more, taking any of the older properties that you've done for um, when you were Fright Town to turn it into uh, an escape room? Yeah, kind of. I mean, like you, you're already experience, experiencing some of it because like mm-hmm. obviously Elshoff is carried over. And then uh, you may have noticed some of the stuff in Secrets of Nibiru, like the shelves from the library and the manor. And um, <laughs> we built uh, two Halloweens ago, three Halloweens ago. I don't remember what it Yeah, two Halloweens it, ago. Two Halloweens ago, we built the House of Darkness which has some elements from a haunted house in it as well. And uh, it's kind of nice because, I mean, having five summer truck trailers full of props and wall panels and whatnot, like just like going to the candy store and picking out things that you <laughs> want to use, you know. And, and uh, yeah, definitely, I, I think there's definitely some other things we may end up borrowing. Uh, we, we definitely want to make more of a, a authentic horror experience, you know, based on like the haunted house type style. But I think... Um, this particular space that we're in right now doesn't allow for that. I think mm-hmm. we want something that's a little like right. higher ceiling. It's just more expansive. Well, one of the things that we looked at when first starting the, uh, the investigation into escape rooms was the perception of what people thought escape rooms were. Mm-hmm. So um, it was very new in the market. So people were thinking they're more horror escape rooms and terrifying mm-hmm. and being locked in a room and, all these, all these. I had a lot of people that wouldn't want to go with me because they were convinced that they were just mini haunted houses, right. and I was like, no, right. no, yeah. And and that was something that we wanted to steer clear of. And so that's when we first built Secrets in the Bureau. We didn't want it to be a scary experience. We wanted it to be a true immersion and a different type of experience. So that um, we tried to stay away from the horror side of things. But as time has gone by, people still have stuck some skulls in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Old habits, old habits, yeah. And you know, spoilers. This one has Pharaoh in the name, so the odds of a mummy are pretty high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably, maybe, possibly, allegedly. Um, yeah, I I remember going through Secrets of Nibiru, and it certainly had more of an action adventure thriller feel to it. Very um, Indiana Jones. Yeah, it, it felt yeah. like you were in a a small, yeah, you know, a, a short movie of your own, where you know or at least that section of the movie where you're looking for clues and trying to solve the puzzle. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
I think that no, yeah, I I think that was my second second uh, um, escape room ever. Mm. So and okay. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Designed to feel like you're in a movie for sure. So mm-hmm. sounds like and we accomplished that. We we actually call this inverse theater, where <laughs> our actors are the the guests that come in, and they they're in the environment, they're in the sets, and our staff is the the observer of the audience who then goes off into their own little world and watches the guests <laughs> play throughout the room. So it's really you know, it's the whole inversion of of normal theater where the fourth wall is completely reversed. Um, which is awesome. So that goes along well with the haunted houses, where the fourth wall is always played with there. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah, and, and trying to uh, explain that to to government agencies for grants was very difficult, and it's still <laughs> difficult. But yeah, it's a whole different topic. Um, <laughs> I also know nothing about that stress. <laughs> there was nothing stressful about explaining to the state of Oregon. What do you mean? You worked for a week and then you didn't. Well, I'm freelance. Why'd you quit? I didn't quit. The job's done. (laughs) (laughs) I have the same same problem with my abuela. Mijo, you got fired? Like, no, that job's done. Right. (laughs) Gonna be poor now? No. (laughs) It is really hard to explain work for hire to folks outside of... Yes. Any any cottage industry. Yeah. So it's nice to chat with other artists that just go, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the oh sorry, go ahead, Denise. I wanted to go back to the the story element for a little bit because you said that there's a connection between this new Pharaoh's relic and the original Secrets of Nibiru. Do you guys want to elaborate a little bit more on what that overarching story is? Well, um, actually, there's a, a connection to, well, maybe not so much the darkness, but um, our other rooms, and then the newest one that we're going to be building is going to be tied back to it as well. So the the main story is is that the Professor uh, Elshoff has been scouring the globe looking for all these artifacts of great power and assembling them all. And so the this particular room, the Pharaoh's Lost Relic, um, you're in search of, like he said, one of the masks that uh, is used in, how do we say this without spoilers? The, the <laughs> procedure, I guess you could say, like you guys will know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But, um, crucial part of the future. Yeah, once you mm-hmm. once you collect all the pieces, then you can open the gateway type of thing. And so um, this is just gathering some parts for that storyline. And then you'll be able to play another room down the line. Uh, we're tentatively calling it the Templar's Treasure. Is that right? Knights Templar Knight, treasure Knights or something Templar, like that. The treasure of the Knight Templar. Treasure of the Knight Templar. That's it's a working title. Yeah. Mm. And uh, you'll once again be finding one of the relics along with probably the standard Templar relics that you always run into. <laughs> and um, that way you get tied back to this room. And then the other one, um, the Assassin's Deadly Game, the other room that we have that you guys haven't played yet, uh, is actually there is this sect of protectors that have lived throughout the ages that are just making sure that the secrets of Nibiru never get revealed. And so you've got people all over the world. One of them happens to be associated with an assassin and he is actually trying to assassinate William Elshoff to prevent him from opening this portal. 
and you're going in to try to find out who the victim is, try to see if you can stop him, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of references to that. The only thing that you might notice is there's some pictures in there that look strikingly familiar to somebody that's in Nibiru. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about the only tie you'll probably catch. It's a very, very faint pencil line. Yes. <laughs> By the way, we, we didn't play that room, but you guys did show it to us for a few minutes. We were wrapping up and there was something unnerving in that and this isn't a dig how kind of plain and mundane that yes. room looked mm-hmm. especially when you turn especially when you activated it for the very beginning for us i was like i'd almost rather this was a decrepit creepy like run down <laughs> apartment building or haunted house like it's just the banality of it was frightening and then it's like mm-hmm. oh and by the way someone's trying to kill you you know yeah there's <laughs> a, a lot of attention to detail went into that which you don't notice because it's just you know it was like we were like apartment builders for a couple of months, you know, and it was yeah. the most boring build for us because it's like walking into the worst home fill ever. And I mean, yeah. that in the best way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we had somebody actually, uh, give us a review where they're like saying they had ducks in there and they had lighting, like they sink, you know, like everything's in there. And I was kind of like, I'm glad he noticed that, but like, <laughs> to me, it's just like, this is what you see when you go into a room. <laughs> yeah. I get the feeling that it definitely wouldn't want to be the first uh, escape room someone ever did because the, it wouldn't it wouldn't read for them, especially if they don't already have that context of how immersive your other rooms are or how how immersive many think, escape rooms can be. I think you change your tune once you've played it because uh, uh. we've had uh, some people who have beta tested this room and then afterwards that was their first room they've ever played and they're like that set the bar pretty high and uh, just the, the fun factor of it I mean like it was designed purely just to be a, a fun game and it's much faster paced than all the other games and, oh, interesting. and um, yeah they, they just said like oh this is going to be hard to beat and even now like a lot of people like almost like it either on par or better than this one wow so, interesting I, now fun. I really want to. Now I really want to do this one. Yeah, yeah. I I remember that when we came out to do Secrets of Nibiru, that was that was the room that was that was your second room because it was still under construction at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Since the Secrets of Nibiru, we've learned a lot. So you know, like each room is progressively better, and nice. and um, I think the Assassins one still definitely stands on its own. But uh, that's cool. I don't know. We have a few more tricks in this one, I think, than. Yeah. Assassins. Yeah. Uh, the Pharaoh's tomb had a lot of moving parts, literally and figuratively. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say where, but there was even a moment because I'm such a movie and film score nerd. There's an element in the, the the Pharaoh's tomb escape room when we activated a thing. I just heard John Williams scores. I just heard mm-hmm. like, the, <laughs> the, the will of the souls part. I was like, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Kept waiting for Belloc to try to steal shit from me. Yeah. <laughs> Belloc is, a, is an author on some of our blogs on our website, too, strangely <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, we have a ghostwriter. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yep. I think it's important to have one, if, if, if especially if like you want there to be a, that like through line, that connection between your different games they're they all seem to be telling very different stories um mm-hmm. from you know from an objective standpoint so you need you need dedicated talent in order to, to tie them together 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think I think that that is a wise investment on your part. <laughs> and we like you know telling the the whole story you know even in pieces. And the the cool thing about the way we're doing it as well is you don't need to do the Pharaoh's Lost Relic first. You mm-hmm. can do them in any order, and those pieces will fit fit together in the story. So you know while it's all canon and has a sequence, you really don't need to play them in that sequence. So um, playing the brew is a centerpiece. <clears throat> may make more sense as everything starts to click in how it works together. So would you say that there's like a recommended order to these if in order to like pick up on that whole bigger story or any order works the same, I mean, equally effectively? I don't know that there's necessarily one for order as far as picking up on the story, but we definitely suggest if you haven't played rooms before to play assassins, because it's like we said, it's kind of the introductory to escape rooms, but well, introductory to how we do yeah, escape room. Mm-hmm. You know, like a primer. Like we said, it's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot to do, but the puzzles are, are a little simpler, so you can solve them faster for the most part. So it, it goes quicker that way. And it's just, it's it's like an instant fun win. And then now you kind of know how we do escape rooms, how escape rooms in general, if you haven't played any before, can go. And then you get into Duburu, which we like to think of as like our deep thinker one. You know, it's a little more slowed down just a bit, more methodical, you know. And then uh, you've got this one, which is, you know, like, okay, you, you see the aftermath of Indiana Jones movie where you're now, you know, piecing through all the parts that you've gathered. You know, this is going to get one of those parts. So we think it's exciting. <laughs> nice. Oh, that reminds me. One thing I noticed, and I don't know how long you guys have had it as part of your repertoire, but mm-hmm. the, the your passport, your hour to midnight passport, I noticed, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it that day, but I would love for you guys to elaborate on that for, for the listeners. How would you feel this one? <laughs> <laughs> right, um, so it's we, we, the, uh, the Portland escape room owners had gotten together and, and created the passport um, in an attempt to try and help uh, cross-market other escape rooms. Um, so the intent behind it was for, for $10 from any escape room that was participating, you can get your passport. And you then you can then have uh, stamps for what rooms you visited. You can record what time you play them. Um, so it's your nice little you know, uh, tangible object to take with you to all the escape rooms. Um, and then we would reward you for finishing all of our games. So you finish our games and you'd get a $15 gift certificate back to our store. Uh, we also have a, an amateur board game store or a very small selection of board games that we sell out of our lobby. Um, so the passport would get you um, that reward. And then if you visited uh, at least one stamp from all the other participants in the passport and returned back here, you'd get $50 back to our store as a reward for, for finishing the passport. Um, and visiting all of our competitors slash friends. Um, mm-hmm. The escape rooms is unique in that our competitors are really not competitors. They're uh, a marketing engine in on themselves because yeah. people want to go visit more places. So uh, we try that, to work together to do that. So And that kind of seems like a throwback to haunters also. I mean, there, mm-hmm. I, from my experience, there have been some haunters that have treated everybody like the competition, but they don't stick around too long because that's a small community and everybody talks. Yeah. Yes, and if you're is. known as the person who's the dick haunter, <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows within a season. 
Can, can we pick up? Can we think of a different name besides the Dick Hunter? <laughs> no, it's pretty scary. No. I, I don't know. And I am. And you know what? I am. That is my 2022 HP Lovecraft short submission title. There's no script yet, but I'll have a poster by tomorrow. The Dick Hunter. The Hunter in the Dickness. That's what it's going to be. I can't decide whether I want every part of this or no part of this. <laughs> yes. And yes okay, to both anyway. of that. Sorry. So uh, let, me, let me add more to this, uh, the passport piece too. Um, so it is being discontinued. Um Fortunately or unfortunately, um, <laughs> we still have, we'll be selling, selling them until we run out of them. Um, while it was a great idea, it just didn't seem to catch on to the, the public as we had hoped. Mm. Um, so I am we're preparing for another meeting, another ownership meeting here soon, um, which I'm getting ready to propose a different version of the passport, which um, every establishment will be able to print their own pages or have, your own, have a PDF available for you to print your own pages for the passport. And then specific places can sell the binder for it. So you can have your hour to midnight binder with our themes and stuff on the outside of it. And you can put whatever pages you want inside. There wouldn't be any rewards or anything like that, but that would give you at least something that you could manage, print on your own. You don't have to spend money to do and get the, you get the fun of having a passport. Well, now I'm picturing like a smush penny booklet and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, One of the things we experienced with the, the ones we currently have are, I think, two or three of the companies that are in there are out of business now. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'd say COVID was, COVID was really hard on escape rooms. Yes. 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 Yeah. Oregon, we were closed for 325 days. Not that we were counting or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, escape rooms couldn't act like a certain uh, theater, restaurant in Powell that would just open <laughs> as a restaurant and say you got to watch a free movie while you were eating. Yep. Yeah. That didn't bite them in the butt or anything later. <laughs> uh, so some of our listeners in the chat actually have been participating in the passport program and would like to know, like, hey, I'm all, I'm already halfway through. I just need like the other they half will be to honored. get full. Awesome. They'll be honored. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. They have all, the, all the participating locations will honor their commitment to the passport holders. So yes, Thanks. they're still good and we're still selling them. I think we have a box of, you know, 100 or some odd left. So we will definitely still honor them. Um, do feel free to, to get more or keep filling it in. Uh, we're just trying to find a better way to to have the interactive and 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 uh, adaptable to the, the, the future. Right. Well, along is, those same lines, right. uh, you, you guys have something that is maybe not new, but new to me is... Um, when you sign the waiver, you put in your email, and then I got a surprise little email at the end of the night showing how many rooms I've done, how many I've successfully mm-hmm. completed. The numbers as, as of right now are one and zero, which is making <laughs> me sad. Um, <laughs> but you, it looks like you guys have developed a way to for people to track their experience with Hour to Midnight. So that's a system called Escape Games Global, which we've been... We, we aren't affiliated with them at all. We just really like the system and we've been kind of pushing it to all the other escape rooms in town. And mm. uh, since, you know, as we said, we talked to the other owners, there are a few of them that have adapted it and it's just the slickest thing. Cause like you can put in your email and it'll remember you and then it'll keep stats of every escape room that you've played that uses the system. And then we can set up um, like banners for the top and the bottom, um, like kind of like around the, 
frame of it all and it'll track like your time, like how many clues you've gotten. Um, if you, you know, there, there's other features for it. If you want to like go deeper where it'll tell you stuff like whether you did the thing in a certain time limit or if you played a game without using a flashlight or all these other weird options, but <laughs> nice. we figured people won't care about that as much. So we left that one off, but yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty slick system for, uh, Keeping well, you and it includes the uh, the picture, your group picture that yeah. is like the, the mm-hmm. you know, tradition yeah, at the end fun. of a escape room. Yeah, in the past we had you hold up signs and our banner and things like that. And this just takes all that out of the picture. It makes it so much simpler. I think that's going to be our show image for this week. Yay! That's a good yeah. image. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Bean, don't feel bad that we're zero and one or whatever. Remember, we were we were beta testing, so right. Yeah. But it also doesn't count that we did do Secrets of Nibiru, however long back. So it should at least be two and one, not You're one and so up. competitive. Oh yeah, we didn't, we didn't have that system back then. But if if not, well, yeah. you no, I, I totally, I know, I totally understand it. I'm, but the competitive part of me is like, yes. but but but, I, but but yeah, but no, but but the thing, I did that. Yep. Like, if you're going to give me a score, it better be accurate. (laughs) If you you gather your team up and and play the Assassin's Deadly game and we do your picture there, we can take you over to Debrew and redo your picture for you. We we, we can can throw that in. (laughs) Incentive. Incentive, yeah. So I'm I'm curious, in escape rooms in general, like, what's the average lifespan of an escape room before you have to think about, all right, it's time to say goodbye and... I that's, a, that's a pretty big endeavor. Yeah, I don't know that anybody in Portland really knows that because um, we've had Nibiru open for five years now. Uh, granted, the pandemic slowed things down, so you know maybe somebody's got some numbers, but uh, right. we've seen some that like turn over their escape rooms in less than a year, and we're kind of like, why would you do that? Because like ours is still probably Nibiru's book just as much as the other two games are, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the rate we're going and building rooms, like we'll probably just finish our next one and then we'll be like, all right, I guess we should think about redoing the brew, but maybe well, it'll still be going. And I got to imagine there's basically just two types of escape room players. There's freaks like me and most of my friends where we want to hit them all because we just love doing it. And then there's just the ones that are like, hey, let's plan something for Thursday night. Have you guys ever heard of escape rooms? And so it's much more casual. Yeah, and they're the lion's share of our business still. Is the casual one? That's what I would assume. Yeah. 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 We, mm. we we will get some some extremists that come in that will do like the West Coast tour. They will they will fly in, rent a car up in British Columbia, mm. play escape rooms, traveling all the way down the West Coast, all the way down to San Diego, and then fly home, spending a month, month and a half just playing escape rooms, traveling the coast. Denise. And those guys are crazy, <laughs> and it's a lot. I'm absolutely in love with this idea. Let's do this. It sounds, it sounds expensive, <laughs> but also it sounds amazing. This sounds like a really good Geek in the City Radio Kickstarter. Yeah, <laughs> it will go. document the entire trip. If if you need oh, some shit. professionals. <laughs> All right, I, I think oh, we're that def- actually we're definitely going to want to put a strong team together. That's actually a good idea, Sorry, okay, isn't well, it? it? It is a good idea. I I think we need to skip Kickstarter and write a grant. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For research purposes. I think we know at least one person who does grant writing, so we'll yeah, we do. We'll we'll work on that. We'll work mm-hmm. on that for sure. <laughs> I'm actually really surprised at to learn that the bulk of your business is like casual, like little to no experience customers. 
because if the TV would have me believe anything, it's that people are as obsessed with escape rooms as we are. Yeah. yeah and then everyone a- else has no idea what that is. Yeah, because we, we designed, initially we designed the bureau for the enthusiasts because we thought that was going to be our, our clientele. And then we quickly realized we made it too hard. <laughs> so we had to like shave a few things off here and there and make it a little bit easier. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we still steer people towards assassins first because, I mean, we're trying to cheat our own horn, but like typically they play one room and then they want to play another one of ours. And, and so we kind of count on that. So that's why we send them there first because... I think it's going to sink that hook a little bit deeper too. When well, part of the visit, when you do visit our rooms, if the other rooms are available for viewing, we'll take mm-hmm. you around and show you a sneak peek of the other rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that usually can you can watch the hook get set right at that point. Yeah. Like, ooh, we need to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I, uh, I, yeah, I we, know that worked on us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a little more of the VIP version of it, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it still works. Birthday, um, birthdays and special occasions, yeah, are, are definitely the, the 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 wider visiting mm-hmm. gap for us. Um, while the enthusiasts are, are awesome to have in here, um, they're just not as plentiful as the yeah as yeah. the off the streets. Which yeah. is good for a, a business. You want to get that tourism money and get people mm-hmm. who are brand new to it. Otherwise you're just servicing the same people over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. that does, that gets back to the shelf life of, of an escape room. Like if you right. were just serving those people, it's like, well, crap, we have to have a new one every year. Otherwise we're, they're going to go away. They're going to go somewhere else. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, something else that we didn't, <laughs> didn't discuss, but uh with our older escape rooms, and we have lots of people uh, asking to purchase them, right? Even mm-hmm. copies of them right now. And we've been reluctant to do any of that, any licensing or, or subcontracting or building out of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is always a potential that once we're done with like Secrets in the Bureau, that that room may travel somewhere else um, and then start the whole process somewhere else in the country. Um, yeah. So there's, there's that potential as well. That seems like cottage industries. Yeah, Yeah. that that seems like a really smart idea, and that gets back into the collaborative nature of escape room owners knowing one another. Is you can go, Mm -hmm. we're done with this one. Try this in your area. Cool. Try this one. Cool. Just you know, trade things back and forth. Yeah. Hmm. Neat. Uh, I would imagine too that uh, your website being what it is um, is very helpful for to bring in new people and tourists because. Everything you need to know is right there up front. Um, the cost per person, the amount of time that it, this is going to take you, um, the success rate, I think, is really helpful. Like it, it shows that the most, the uh, the room that uh, has the highest success rate seems to be the Assassin's Deadly game, mm-hmm. but it, it's still, you know, around sixty percent. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> so it, like, I, I appreciate knowing that everything is still a challenge and, and people are going to, it says a lot that even if you fail, you still want to come back to try again or try something different. So see if you can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have to admit, Assassin's Daily Game is a fabulous game to lose. Yep. The, 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 mm. the, lose, the lose show that goes on with that room is wonderful. Um, it is it's oh. lots of fun. Lots of fun to, 
to actually, they, of all the escape rooms that we ever played, there's never really been a good lose scenario mm-hmm. for it. But Assassin's said mm. the game really has a fun lose scenario. If I, I if wish people, we could play it so we can experience it. <laughs> let's say if people if people beat the room, do you still show them had you had lost? <clears throat> yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's it's not quite the same because the environment doesn't doesn't do all the little tweaks that we do. Oh to my god! The environment. So things change as you you're getting closer and closer to the end of the game. So we don't necessarily replicate that, but the finale of losing we do replicate. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's pretty great. Yeah, yeah I mean, I have to say that like, without a doubt, um, uh, the Pharaoh's Relic is possibly the hardest escape room I've ever done, and maybe only the second time like I've been in a an, a an escape room and didn't complete the challenge, but that did not make it any less fun. Mm-hmm. So it, there's. There's so there's really something to be said for that whole like loss win ratio, and I, mm-hmm. I struggle to think like, well, let's say I had not uh, won, or like we with the group had not accomplished Secrets of Nibiru, I would want to do it again. I mean, I'd want to wait a couple months, yeah, yeah. maybe even a couple years, because if you if you do it again right away, you're going to remember too many things, and then it's not actually challenging anymore. Mm-hmm. You're just like rushing to the part that that beat you that one time, but like right now, I could I've probably forgotten enough that I could do it again and like beat my beat my score or what have you. Do you get a lot of that? <laughs> um, not as much as you'd think, but um, then again, you know, we don't track all of our visitors to see how often they come back, so <laughs> it's it's hard to know. Like I know there there are some people who have come back a few times, but I think it's more to show their friends the room rather than to try to beat their score or whatever. But mm-hmm. there is one one aspect of the way we design games too is we use what a you know a hybrid puzzle system in which there are many things to do at the same time in the room. So if you do come back, you could just choose not to do the puzzles you've done before and do those things on the other side of the room that you didn't see mm-hmm. that went on. Um, so there is that 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 you could look forward to as well. It's like you know I didn't get to do that piece and those pieces. So I'm gonna work on those this time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, I think we've got a, another one last question from the the chat. This is from uh, Bex, who has done House of Darkness, and she loved it. Um, but uh, I think for her general knowledge and and for anyone interested, are there any rooms that are leaving soon that people <laughs> should get? Make sure to get in now before they take off. So. <laughs> this is uh, something that he and I are in a disagreement on. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think he's starting all the to time. win. All the time. Um, so House of Darkness, actually. Um, mm. It was never meant to be a long runner. It was just supposed to be for October. Um, it was a, a very quick build, so it's not as polished as, as our other ones. I mean, I don't think you tell that by looking at it, but um, it, wasn't, it wasn't meant to stick around, and it was just so popular we decided to keep it. And now... Our plan is, because it's currently sitting in Templar's space. In fact, behind the walls are some of Templar already built. And so we're going to move it into our banquet room and just shut that down because the banquet room is almost always empty. It's, it's very seldom used. And so we're going to just expand and, and make that darkness. But he would like to make a new one, essentially. And so that way the people who have experienced darkness, loved it, want to play it again can play this new version whereas i'm like there's still a lot of people that want to play it that haven't yet and it, mm-hmm. it just feels wrong to just like end the game that 
is still getting bookings. Yep. For, for my defense, uh, darkness <laughs> doesn't doesn't fit our storyline. It doesn't fit the the genre we've built. Sure. Um, you know, it's 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 an outlier. It's more truly haunted house stuff. The side uh, quest, right? And yeah. and I would like to make the new darkness to fit into the new growth storyline. Mm-hmm. We have a very dark and scary mask that doesn't really fit into any cultural um, niche. So we can apply whatever we want to that and make new darkness with this new storyline and request again for another another piece of the Nibiru storyline. Uh, That's cool. And, and you know, in making new puzzles that are, that are in the darkness because we you know been playing or working with darkness for so long, we've got all kinds of new ideas. You know how to do in the dark puzzles, um, which is challenging. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have enough knowledge now. I think we can pull it off without disrupting our build schedule too much. And I think it's safe to say it's still going to be a dark. Yeah, escape room. People love that. People love the, <laughs> that. That <laughs> senses. So at least that part won't go away. Nice. That's cool. Well, I think we have to kind of wrap up here. Uh, it was really great chatting with you guys. Uh, where can people find you again online? Um, HourToMidnight.com is our website, or uh, Hour to Midnight at. Uh, Facebook or at Hour to Midnight on Instagram. I think we have a Twitter account also, Hour to Midnight. <laughs> nice. And, nice. Um, and I see on your website you can book directly online, which I'm assuming is preferred anyway. Absolutely. Then, yeah, that's pretty much the only way to do it, in fact. So you're there. Well, uh, I am definitely going to go check out the other rooms you guys have um, the darkness and the assassin. Uh, I'm definitely I'm a- itching to do the darkness. Yeah, I'm assuming the people I am sharing this screen with are down as well. So, yes, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's things in there that can scratch that itch for you. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, man, it was really great speaking with both of you. And thank you again for inviting us to test out your room. That was yeah. a real honor and it was a lot of fun. Great. Excellent. Um, thank you guys. Pleasure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, hopefully we will see. Well, not hopefully, we will see you very soon for sure. All, <laughs> All right. right. Look forward to it. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Good night. Bye. Good night. That was cool. Yeah. yeah. The, the live show is a little shorter because we have a special treat coming up is all. That's why. Which, which you teased at the beginning of the show. Yes. Yeah. Every, everyone knows. So. Yes. Which means this is a good time to talk about our returning sponsor. Yes. Oh, yes. Asylum. Uh, and they sent us a very, Anton sent us a very lovely email. A very clarifying email. Very mm-hmm. clarifying email uh, that they really don't do vintage furniture anymore. It's not that they don't. It's just they no don't. longer like the the number one draw right. to their space anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of reasons, uh, not to peel back the curtain too much, but the primary reason is COVID. There's not a lot of shopping in people's houses for estate sales no more. <laughs> I mean, and I never actually thought about that being a detriment to the vintage slash antique industry of that, like, these all happen because people go into estate sales and whatnot, and that's not happening. Yeah, we're it over a year and a half in at this point, and we're still figuring out how this is affecting so many industries. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, a lot of the focus is on manufacturing and, and the different shortages that impact mm-hmm. that whole workflow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but there there's a there's there there are a lot of elements about 
estate sale shopping that I had not really thought about until Aaron, uh, until Anton kind of clarified yeah. that, uh, elaborated on it. So, so yeah, for better or for worse, um, they do still better. have modern vintage furniture, but rather yeah. than like describe them as a modern vintage furniture shop, they are a modern minimalist lifestyle lifestyle. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that that means that there's going to be a lot more space in the, in the store that's dedicated to smaller items, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, gift like good, like giftable stuff. Yeah. Um, well, and, and something else they pointed out that I think is really, especially in the days of us trying to get away from giant conglomerates of monopolies, a lot of the products they carry for your home are created by companies or manufacturers that refuse to sell on Amazon, eBay, and other, these mass market, you know, I don't want to say fast fashion, but whatever the furniture version or decoration version of fast fashion, they just won't sell to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rely and support stores like Asylum to carry and speak to their brand and carry their products and stuff. And I think that's a big deal. And that's, you know what, I, that can't be an easy, well, yeah, it can't be an easy choice for a small business um, to, to go the more difficult artisan route. But, you know, Anton and Deb have a vision of providing, quality to their customers and they're sticking to it so mm-hmm. i mean it's it's i'm sure that it creates more work for them because if you're if you're sorry i'm like losing track of my thought here but the the, the, the takeaway was going to be that like when you're when you shop at asylum you're gonna get like really good quality curated items that you can't just find anywhere on the internet and i mean i think that's that's always been the case and i think that that's part of why they have been such a such a staple on hawthorne for so long mm-hmm. yeah for sure uh so yeah they are they are here through the end of the year it's really great to have anton and deb and asylum back um you can find them on hawthorne boulevard right across from the baghdad theater Thirty-seven, thirteen, 13. <laughs> Southeast Hawthorne Boulevard. Thank you. I forgot it in my head, and I'm running the stream on my Facebook page, and I'm so terrified of glitchy Facebook that I didn't want to go away from <laughs> it, which is probably unfounded at all. But I was like, ah, no. Meanwhile, I'm super pleased that it only took me one week to get it back in my brain. Man, they were sponsors for years, and I still could. I always mix them up in Bridge City Comics. They're just too damn. The numbers are too similar in my head. And I have the, I think I have the number version of dyslexia, so, which I know has a name. Dyscalculia. Dyscalculia. I think it's, I think that's it. I think it's spelt dyscalculia, but it's pronounced dyscalculia. Yeah. I, I reverse numbers and mix up numbers in my head all the time. I'm trying to decide if Denise is making this up or not. No, that's what it's (laughs) called. I almost cut Aaron off to say like, you, no, I don't think that's it. I'm telling you that's it. <laughs> you know what oh, else I'm telling I just, you? I just looked it up. It is dyscalculia. I told you. You know what else I'm telling you? Visit Hawthorne. Visit, <laughs> visit, ah, ha, ha. This is your fault. I blame you. Visit Asylum on Hawthorne. Uh, find them on Facebook at PDX Asylum. Uh, and, and buy their beautiful, unique wares that you're not going to get from Amazon. That's right. 
And with that, we are going to cut to our episode or our interview recorded this weekend live at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival with director Davey Robertson and Mike Gallagher. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, They were talking to us about Black Goat episode one. Yeah, Mike Gallagher was the music supervisor, so he coordinated all of the people that composed music for the for the um, first episode. And I bought his Lovecraft rock opera that I haven't listened to yet, but I'm excited for it. I want a review of that when you're done. Okie dokie. Mm-hmm. So give that a listen, check out their show, and uh, tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or maybe tell them what you think. I'm sure they'll find that yeah. helpful. Yeah. All right, this is Geek in the City Radio. We're standing here with uh, Davey Robertson, yep. um, uh, Black, the director of Black Goat, yep. and Mikey, Mike Gallagher, um, the, who composed the music. For, uh, well, uh, music supervisor. Music supervisor. And producer. <laughs> yeah, and producer. Yeah. Um, Black Goat was amazing. <laughs> we'll start off with that. Thank you. We really enjoyed it. Um, Thank for, you so much. for the listeners who didn't get to see it or who might have a chance to see it streaming, do you want to give like a spoiler-free synopsis of what the, the story is? Uh, sure. I mean, what I'll do is maybe just give a idea of what the series is supposed to be, mm-hmm. which is kind of spoiler-free, which is uh, we decided that, you know, we wanted to, having done two films now in, in, in the Lovecraft canon, right, we did... Call of Cthulhu and Whisper mm-hmm. Darkness, and we, I wanted to do another project that explored Lovecraft's material without doing an adaptation. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do is create new stories that exist in the Lovecraft universe, because really his stories just exist in a, in a, in a self-composed universe. Mm-hmm. It's very finite, yeah. Yeah, so I thought it was exciting to kind of try to work within that construct. So I thought, let's create an eight-episode series that was a story that was the characters he created. Um, it's not an adaptation of anything he's ever written, but rather a brand-new story that existed in his universe with characters he created. Mm-hmm. And that way, kind of, the, the stories can live on. Yeah. And Black Goat lives in the world of the thing yeah. on the doorstep. Right, and so so this particular uh, season, Black Goat, um, Black Goat's the, you know, the series uh, umbrella, right? Sure. uh, But this particular season was a thing on the doorstep. Okay. So we took that as inspiration. Fascinating. Glad you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, You were talking in the theater about... uh, the opening shots where everything is upside down yep. and how that's supposed to evoke some feelings and, yep. and, and kind of clue into what the overarching story is going to be later on. That was that was the thing that grabbed me immediately. Okay. I'm like, oh. It's like, I've seen upside down done, but usually it just flips to tell, immediately to tell you that something's wrong. It's like, no, this is, we're staying here. This okay. is this is unsettling and it's going to be unsettling. So Very good. Yeah. Um, I think the idea was exactly what you're saying, which mm-hmm. is I want to let you know right off the bat that we're going to be going into a different perspective on this story, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's a longer opening, and we, I really want to explore that feeling like you're you're describing that it, it's it's unusual, and we're looking at it from a di- different perspective. Um, and as the story goes on, like, 
we kind of flip it right when the characters come in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of still want to send the message that this is the way we're looking at the whole series, not just the pilot. Right. It's like we're kind of trying to go underneath mm. a lot of what was written. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just a very kind of subtle, or maybe an overt way. I'm, I'm not sure to say that that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take the material that Lovecraft wrote and flip it upside down, and you know, explore it. Go from there. Yeah, excellent. I appreciate the way once you see the characters and the the video is no longer upside down. Yeah. There is still a continuation of the sort of discomfort yeah. and the, the sense that things aren't right. At no point do you overtly say, this is the tension between these characters, but it's right. tangibly there, and I think that that builds that through line. Well, I mean, I'm glad I'm glad you got that. I think the what, what I call weak side singles, uh, singles when we do the conversation in the car, um, I, frame them, I frame them so they're never in the same shot. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I want that tension to come through, that there's a lack of communication mm-hmm. and there's something wrong here. And it's just a beautiful cinematic way to express that without having to do it overtly through dialogue. And, you know, so it's just a, you know, a way to support that idea. Um, and then it's very strategic towards the end of that scene when we do do the shot from behind where they are now. You see them both in the same frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's intentional, so I'm glad that that comes across. Yeah. Yeah, really well, there's also the, the uncomfortable uh, enclosed moment when he tries to hold her hand. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's that in the she beginning. She pulls yeah. it away. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's and one of those everyone's moments. Everyone's been in that situation. Everyone's yeah. 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 It's like, oh, yeah. that's so have real. Have you? You feel so it. Real. You can't, totally you feel can't it. escape it because you're in a car together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I do, I really appreciate... After, you know, you, you juxtapose that moment that once she gets to the house, there's an almost an immediate emotional turn. She actually seems to become more loving towards him. Yep. And right. he doesn't register that that could be an issue. Right. He's just so yeah. excited mm-hmm. that, oh, everything is fine now. She yeah. wants to be with him. Yeah, that he never once questions how come she went from pulling her hand away in yeah. the car to, oh, it's great. Well, I, um, think the, I think the idea is that when she gets to the house, she kind of, Becomes seduced by it mm-hmm. a little bit, and she it's feels like she, now she's somewhere she never understood where she belonged, but now she belongs, mm-hmm. you know. And so this whole dynamic changes with him, right? The first night that they're together, now she's really amorous. She really wants to be with him, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, he's still reacting as if, you know, the the trip in and the experience they had, and she just wants to go for it, right? And he's not cautious. He's excited. He's grateful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a giant change in her behavior. But I think that's the first indication that her getting there says something's changed. Yep. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. All and of I, a sudden, think, she's somewhere now where she feels different than she did before. Yeah. yeah, and I think for me personally, part of the horror is that I saw it, but I know that the character doesn't. He doesn't right. see it. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And why would he? He just yeah. enjoys it, right? Yeah. Yeah. They've exactly. had an intimate yeah. relationship before. Dudes right. don't see a lot. Dudes yeah. don't see anything. No, yeah. we, we don't. <laughs> they just panic. No, they don't. I, I've, I've, I've been with that guy, and it's, it's painful. Right. Uh, it is right. over the head. 
not coming through. Yeah, right. And You're I referring to me. Yeah, no, it's just your here. You're just standing. Okay, here. good. No, but I think that you <laughs> portrayed that really well. Like yeah. you're you're too advantageous to see the red flag. Yeah, and I think that's one of the the hallmarks of really good um, weird horror and Lovecraftian based horror is when you can show the very human moments because that's what we connect to. Of course. And so when yeah. horrible things happen, then we feel bad for them. Right. Um, the other hallmark, which I think that you also did, is when you so you show the character's reaction to whatever the horror actually is. Mm-hmm. But we, the audience, don't actually see it. Mm-hmm. We're just left with the worst thing that we can imagine. Yeah. And that's always been one of my favorite things about uh, the short films for Lovecraft and, and, and the long film. So like, it's really uh, difficult. To, yeah. To realize. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're talking about the the end of the movie or the end of the episode when the ritual scenes happening, mm-hmm. the little mm-hmm. door opens, mm-hmm. and you don't really get to see what is in there. And yep. I mean, that was a very specific choice about, um, look, that little door is going to open. There's no way I can show you anything that's cool. Right, yeah. There's no, anything that I can put in there is not going to be as cool as you're going to imagine. And then I got really interested in just seeing the character's reaction to what they're seeing, right? And so I think, like Jeff, uh, who played um, Brick in the story, Mm -hmm. His reaction was brilliant, like just the scream. Oh, yeah, I felt it. He's yeah, a good, he's a good screamer. Yeah. Right, really good screamer. Right, that's not that's not easy to but do. You don't, no. hear, you don't hear the scream. No, I, no. I cut the volume out of the no, scream. No, you I, can just, but you yeah. can see it. You can, see you can and you could feel it. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. just it's like oh, I've I've screamed like that before. I know that. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Yeah. And considering that this was, um, you know, a first episode for what is to be, a, you know, a longer series, mm-hmm. um, obviously I don't want to. We don't want to give away anything that you're going to see, so it should be provocative, you know. But I, st- I still think ultimately in the bigger picture, it's a better way to go. Yeah. To let the audience determine, you know. The bottom line is the pit is way scarier than the pendulum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so as much as I can give you the pit, yeah, I will. Right. You know, and I love to see it in the reaction of the characters. You know, and then you know sometimes it, maybe that's unsatisfying because people want to see the thing, they want to see the creature. But I think ultimately it, it, they would maybe be disappointed if they saw it. Yeah. You know. I mean, if it's good enough for the classics, and there's a reason they're still beloved and emulated to this day. Right. 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 It might have been. It might have started out as like a cost for right. effectiveness right. to effect ratio, but the fact right. is, it works because it leaves it up to the imagination. And of it, course, yeah. and it's that divide of there's what the audience wants and what they need. They may want to see the creature. They want to see it, but yeah. they don't. They're not going to get it. They don't need it. That's that's not not, not not scary. But we had a wonderful bonus in this because it is a pilot for a series. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can just say right off the top, like, you're not going to get it in the pilot. So, like, we're going to tease you for sure. Like, maybe later you'll see something. Mm -hmm. I know in our plans for the, you know, for the story, we go back to this moment later in the series and we see more of what happened. Okay. Okay. But it's, it's, right now, it's Mickey Rourke. This is a. <laughs> it's always Mickey Rourke. Oh, harsh. It's always Mickey Rourke knocking on my door at midnight. 
Fair enough. I mean, yeah. effective, but I think that's fair yeah. enough. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's spoiler. Yeah. 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 There, we go. there we go. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, you um, bet. We're going to get back to yeah, yeah. watching films and let you get back to talking with folks. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again. Thank Appreciate you. it. Yeah. And here's the part where I'm going to remove stuff from the podcast where I ask both of all of us to now give the sign off because the live show is going to end. So I have to now edit in. I got to do timey-wimey editing stuff. Okay, so this is the part that you're going to cut. Yeah, right now. Right now. Well, maybe not now because it's funny. Okay, but now? No, before. Now we're in the past. Now now we're in the after part. When will then be now? Yes. And with that, thanks for listening. I'm Aaron Duran. And I'm Bean Arena. And I'm Cable Hashtani. And we will speak to you all last week. I'm huge. Thank you, Cable. It was good. It was good. Uh, Time's a flat circle. That's right. Good night. (laughs) 